Hello and welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm excited as I always am. I need a new entry line for my podcast to have Mr. Vince Fowler on the show today. How are you doing, Vince? I am excellent. That is the truth. And uh, for having me. <laughs> so help me. So help me God. No, I love it. <laughs> We've been chit-chatting away, so we thought we better push record. Uh, you know, Calgary conspired. I think Vince and I have known, known of each other. Calgary, the quintessential yep. biggest small town I've ever lived in, which I love. I do believe it's one of our superpowers, as you'll hear me say often. But I think Sean Freeman kind of connected. A few people are like, you know, you guys need to meet. And here, and here we are having a chat. So we had a great chat a few weeks back and decided to to get on here and push the big record button and have a conversation about, I don't, I don't even know. That's the beautiful thing about, they just get it. We get to just have a conversation, which I really love. And I feel very privileged, but let's start off a little bit. Let's just set the stage. We'll, we'll, we'll stick to the, what, what works. What, what do you do day to day that, 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 that makes you happy, Vince? What do you, what do you do? What do you, what do you, what do you do? What do you love about what you do? And then let's get into your story a little bit. I think it's going to be fun. I'm glad you said, what do you do? Uh, cause you didn't say, who are you? Uh, they're two very <laughs> What I do, a fast answer is CEO performance coach. If, uh, you know, what a mental performance coach aspires to do with professional athletes, that's what I aspire to do with my clients. And it's just, how do we think through our challenges? They're an expert. The athlete is really skilled at their sport. The coach is there to help them navigate and, and process and move forward and, and, and uh, enjoy the experience as much as they can. So that's, that's the do part. Um, husband, father, two kids, 12, my son, 14, our daughter. I say my son, our son, uh, <laughs> my wife will listen. Hi, honey. And, uh, <laughs> our kids. I appreciate, I appreciate the clarification. <laughs> so, so that's, yeah, so that's good. And there's, um, maybe the newest thing in my life because I've been coaching for the last, uh, professionally for the last 11 and a half years, nice. uh, when COVID happened, I had already had a day-to-day exercise commitment, but when the gyms closed, I started running and I didn't do that very well. So that I got mad and I, <laughs> I just kept running <laughs> my leg and then I uh, hired a coach and, but I ultra, I, I run in ultras. So in the Fantastic. last, the last year I did uh, three fifty Ks an 80 K and a hundred K. And I'm just in the process of, getting my act together for which races I'll do next year. The goal's there. And running has been many things from uh, therapy to absolute enjoyment. Uh, it's less about running away for something and running towards. And something well, well, away from towards. We can spend yeah. some time on the time in that one. And, sure. um, I do so- want to clarify, though. You started running. Yeah. Weren't really, didn't really know like maybe hadn't been a runner, didn't, didn't get a coach. I'm just, I'm just going to call it out for fun to start the call. Kept running harder to the point and then got a coach and then things got sorted out. So I love sometimes when we get to learn our own lessons, is that, is that a fair statement? Not to, not to pick on you five minutes into the show. For sure. Right. Like, no, like I played rugby for years. I know how to, I can walk, I can run. Yeah. So how hard can it be? You know, I was in the infantry, how hard can running be? Well, turns out it's a sport all on its own. Um, I was making all the all the mistakes, running too far, too soon, too frequently, and developed a very serious stress fracture in my left femur, mid shaft of my left femur, which in itself is super rare, but also a blessing because a lot of people develop uh, the fracture inside their hip, and it's a really gross and ugly recovery where I was just crutches for four weeks. So it was a good lesson, a good lesson to learn early, and then higher. I, I, I appreciate as you said, uh, you know, you made a comment about you do for CEOs and, and leaders 
like from a, from an athletics perspective and you, you know you mentioned you played rugby and background is athletics your background and you also said military so i'm curious i want to get a pivot around uh, and, I, and i don't want to say this in a diminishing way but i slightly will you can throw a stone and hit a coach these days it seems and yeah. i love that in so many ways but it also makes me concerned in other ways to really play both sides of that coin i love sure. it because people are willing to go yeah no i don't have the, all the answers i'm not the all-knowing all-seeing leader in the ivory tower i'm i've got stuff i've got things to work through which we'll talk a bit about but I want to get a coach, but coach means so many things to so many different people. The flavor that you've decided to go with from that, like, no, no, it's performance. It's taking an athlete mindset. How'd you, is that came right out of the gate like that? Or is that a coaching practice that's evolved for you? No, I, I grew into that. I evolved into that. And you're right. Like when, when people introduce themselves to me or I overhear at, a, at an event, you know, someone, I overhear someone identifies a coach. Hmm. Um, I'm embarrassed to say that even my eyes roll. Hmm. So um, because there's, if, you know, if you said, Hey, I'm a doctor immediately, I know you went to med school. I'm an engineer, a PEGA, uh, you know, yeah. accounting, you know, there's uh there's all these certifications that come with this. There's uh there's certifying bodies, governing bodies and so on. My, my industry doesn't have that, at least in the, in the scope that I do now, athletics has a very much a, a governing and certifying body. So athletics is farther ahead in our industry. So there's that. Uh, but no, in the beginning, I started, uh, I've been involved in athletics from a very young age. I mean, my earliest memories is, are hockey and then baseball and then rugby. And, and the military is, is in, in many ways a coaching experience because there's constantly leadership development and a lot of coaching uh, crossovers with leadership and so on. But, but um, it was in, I was working as a strength and conditioning coach at Edge School for Athletes. And, hmm. and I was four years in and the economy went sideways in 2008. And so when the, when the um, end of the school year in, in, in 2009 came, I lost my position. And at the time I heard, you're fired, you're not good enough. The reality was any CEO, any, any owner of an organization, be it a nonprofit or a private sector, what have you, is doing everything they can to keep that business surviving any economic crisis. So they felt they could do the job with a that teacher and they, they, um, they had another solution and it wasn't me, which is fine. It, but it took me a while to land on my feet. I was looking for a life, not a, not a new job. So that took 16 months to figure out. But uh, where I landed was a business coaching firm in Calgary. They're still around today, Action Edge Coaching. They are fundamentally, they are educated through Action Coach. It's a fantastic organization. It's been around for a long time. Great leadership there. Uh, but when, so anyways, that's where I joined and I got mm -hmm. two. I got mentored by exceptional coaches um, and eight months in took my certification through them. And a year later, year, year and a couple months later, I exited the firm and started my own practice. And along the way, so in the beginning, it's very much spreadsheets and processes and financial literacy and different things like this, all things that, you know, the business, the mechanics of a business would make sense. If we think of a car, um, there's the mechanics of how that car goes and stops speed you said racing motorcycles right like so mm -hmm. but along the way i was like you know you know john's problem isn't the lack of understanding on a particular strategy john's problem is he's not he's afraid to raise prices she's afraid to fire the customer he's afraid to make another hire she's afraid to partner whatever it might be none of these were strategy problems these were all behavioral problems these were all mental narrative problems and at that time, my firm, my firm owner wasn't super excited to entertain the, the, 
the thinking of that, you know, it was like, um, their definition of mindset was very uh, respectfully was a bit cliche, you know? Uh, well, there was the time Vince, not that long ago that that was the fluffy stuff. That was the woo woo stuff. We don't talk about that around here. Like, and I'm not saying that Scott's gone away, but it wasn't that many years ago that that didn't get the same play. And I, I've run yeah. into a few coaching situations where I've had people coach my staff and I'm like, you're not getting to the root because their beliefs are not allowing them to move forward. Well, we don't touch that. I'm like, well, what do you mean? How you call yourself a coach? Yeah. So you're touching on some frustrations I've had in the past. And yeah. I think we're, we, the proverbial, we, the universal collective, we are getting better. And, but there's still a lot of organizational cultures that you don't have that psychological safety to say, wow, I'm actually, I don't know, or I'm fearful. And which I think, yeah. you know, the word afraid you've used quite a bit there. So, I mean, Timothy Clark is sort of the person who's mm. one of the pioneers of psychological safety. So I, what I really gravitated to is in the beginning, it was a book here and a book there, but it was because um, there was a lot of anecdotal mindset stuff back in the day. And by back in the day is only 10 years ago. Now yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. We're not referring to 30 years ago. I, oh, I appreciate yeah, um, yeah. Positive psychology is only about 25, 26 years old. So for me, hmm. um, I read a lot, watch a lot, audiobook a lot around um, peer reviewed evidence-based social science. So I'm, my aspiration is not to be a psychologist or a therapist and there is a real, very real designation out there in the world of athletics called mental performance coach mm-hmm. and also sports psychology. They're very, very different. But I, when I was at edge school, there was a, there was a sports psychologist on staff. He's still there. Matt Brown, he's coached a variety of Olympic athletes, as well as many of the Calgary flames, Calgary hitmen and so on. And I said, Hey Matt, like, um, how do I become a sports psychologist in five books? <laughs> And once he was done laughing and realized it was, <laughs> he gave me five books. I read three and, and I've gone on to read a whole other variety, but it's, again, it's in that mental performance therapy is what had happened in the past. Let's figure that out. Let's untether it. Yep. Performance coaching is okay. I get it. What just happened is real. You just threw an interception. It's real. Uh, your staff unexpectedly quit. I get it. It's real. What are we going to do next? Um, it's, you know, while the, while the pain of the present, there's not a lot we can do to make it better. There's a lot we could do to make the situation worse. So what is the next best step of these three shitty choices? What is the best of mm. these three shitty, shitty choices? So that's how, that's the, that's the gist, let's say. And I love I, the context of like, okay, it's what's happening now, but what's next? It's always like, yeah. I, I've always described that like coaching is now into the future where the therapist and is like, and I love what you said about uncoupling. So I'm going to circle back on that in a second. Because so many times our inability to make the now next decision and understand it is often because of a past trauma or, or the story that we immediately start telling ourselves because of something that's been so ingrained from a joke. When's the last time you asked a six-year-old for advice? Probably, probably earlier today when something happened that triggered uh, a belief structure that you've been holding onto for maybe to the point that's no longer of service. (laughs) Let's say it that way. You know, if a person, if a person, you know, person will tell me indeed, indeed is the worst place to hire people from. I said, Oh, that's an interesting um, tell me why, tell me more. Hmm. And they'll go on and on. And, and, and they've, it turns out they've used it three times and all three hires didn't work out. I said, okay, let's remember whatever ha- the past is real. What happens next is independent of the past. Can we agree on that? Yes. Great. So let's review what we did. Begrudgingly. Yes. <laughs> do it differently. Um, or, you know, um, there's a narrative uh, a client once said, you know, there's just no good people in Calgary. Well, that's interesting. Where's the evidence to support that? And they'll, a lot of it's fabricated. So again, belief or fact, which, it, you know, or 
which is it? Um, so not all beliefs are facts. So it's okay. While I realize you've had bad experiences, I don't I'm not here to minimize those. Those are real. What happens next is still independent of what happens next. So it's, it's little things like that. And we're, you know, there's so much really interesting science and there's great people. Andrew Huberman's a neuroscientist out of Stanford. He presents it in such a way that a kid in middle school could understand what he's saying. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's an incredible career. It's deeply rewarding, deeply fulfilling. And I'm really, really blessed to, to find this way. I, I love it. I can certainly hear it coming through in your the way you describe it. When you're in an environment where you're working with somebody, it's like an ongoing, an ongoing a client and you're coaching them and you start to see, and maybe they see it as well, the pattern of, well, I'm, I don't, I don't, I won't do the next or I'll do the next the same way I did it the three past times that hadn't worked out because of the story, because of the narrative, because of the unresolved trauma, the belief, the, the, what, whatever the belief fact, the, the belief that's masquerading yeah. as a fact or vice versa. As a coach, do you refer out? Do you say, listen, we can see something's going on here. Do we agree? Yeah. Okay. I guess you're right. Are you prepared? Do you want to deal with it? Yeah. Okay, great. That's not me. Cause I'm, I'm the now and future. Here's somebody I want to refer you to. I, I think that, you know, is that how you handle it in, in those situations? Just getting understanding. I've seen too many people wade into Pandora's box that weren't trained or skilled or should be doing that, but yeah. it's really tempting to be armchair psychologist, right? Or armchair therapist. Oh, it's yeah. It's everywhere. In, <laughs> I say everywhere. It is. I recognize the absolute in my language. But it, you didn't wave your hand as it is everywhere. You didn't say it that way for the audience. <laughs> Holy crikey. Um, it's in our social media. It's, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. It's, it's often there. Um, and so, and uh, one of the things about coaching, just like education, just like medicine, is it's a helper industry. And it's really, really addicting to get caught up on putting band-aids on symptoms. Number one, number two, the desire to help is so big. Um, We people in my industry, we can get caught up in rescuing. And those two things aren't actually very helpful at all. We're doing way more damage than we are, than we are helping. And this is one of the challenges of the industry. Um, There's, you know, so it, Maybe it's in part why some people just don't work out in the industry as well, because they, it's, it's also exhausting by talking about stuff we can't fix in, in the first place. And our job isn't to fix at all. In fact, our job is to listen and reflect back and provide guidance. If it's, you know, when it's asked, like I'll say, are you asking me, what would I do? Is that what you're asking me? Because I'll tell you what I would do. I'm not, I'm not telling you what you should do. Uh, I like that clarification. Uh, This is in the past. That's oh, you should do this. Well, that's not our job either. At any rate. Um, Hmm. So yes, hundred percent. I'll say, you know what? I'm noticing some trends here. I'm noticing this. I'm noticing that. Can I make a recommendation? And it could be, uh, you know, to a therapist, to a psychologist, to a counselor, to any other subject matter expert. Um, and it's Susan David who talked about untethering. She she says traumatic experiences they they hook. She uses the the descriptor of they hook into us. And we need to unhook that experience. She'll say, you are not the event. You're just the one who experienced the event. So letting go, uncoupling ourselves from that past experience, which is super helpful for me because I certainly have my own events in the past. And the other thing is Peter Levine, who wrote, um, I forget now, but a psychologist, a pioneer in 
in post-traumatic stress, uh, post-traumatic stress, he says, trauma is not what happens to us. It's what's happened. It's what is left inside of us in the absence of an empathetic witness. So often our jobs as coaches, as employers, as parents, spouses, and such is just to be the, the empathetic witness. So if anybody, if any one of your listeners are an EO, EO has, they leverage Gestalt and so does tech and other, other um, peer advisor groups. There, our job as teammates here is to be the empathetic witness. We're not there to fix. We're there to listen. It's the untrained coach feels this obligation to fix. The untrained person is, is trying to fix. It feels good. It's just typically not productive. So in your relationship, would you then refer that person out to somebody who that is their job to help? And I want to be careful with their job to fix. I don't even, I don't like the way that sounds, but get well, help people. To yeah, they, to, totally. Yeah. I want to be just catching my own words. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Help them to work through it. Like I, I have clients who have um, teenage kids and I have a teenage daughter and a, and a teenage son. We have had exceptional clarity given to us by working with a child psychologist Trevor Moads that was, he passed away a year ago. He was Russell Wilson's mental performance coach at the Seahawks. And um, among other places, ING Direct being a big uh, mental performance um, training academy, ING Academy. But he said, um, so he said, Moad said, you don't have to be sick to get better. I was like, wow, that's amazing. So I think for two years, we've been taking our, our kids to... Um, child psychologist, as well as us going, because, you know, I didn't realize that at the age of 12, my daughter's number one priority flipped from me to making friends, connecting with her peer group. And our psychologist said, you know, maybe around 18, 19, 20, somewhere around there, she'll come around. And I was like, okay, cool. So now I don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you want to hang out with dad? No. All right, cool. <laughs> and sometimes she says yes. And I was just like, oh, wow. And I tell my wife, <laughs> but the understanding, the knowledge, the context, you don't have to be, you don't have to be sick. The, to get it was by that. seeking help from, from an authority in the, in the field, which was very yeah. helpful. So I'm very quick to say to my client, look, I'm not your, I don't want to be your, your helping tool to a, your relationship challenge here. It's a real challenge. I hear it. This is who I use. Like, I'm happy to give you the number. So. I appreciate the concept of like not fixing someone, but helping them work through it. That's much better. I wasn't, I wasn't happy with the word fixing that I was using yeah. in the context of oh, I, it. I understand. Yeah. Helping you work through it is much better context. So curious and also uh, heal thyself. You've been on this journey of coaching and supporting other individuals. I'm assuming this has been a big part of the journey for yourself. You talked about even the transition of a, for when we how long, when we in the military, let's just get a little, we're not going to do full time on here, but let's put some, let's put some guardrails around like your life. <laughs> I learned about, uh, so I learned about the military when I was 11 years old. I was in grade six and it was literally some guy talked about D-Day and paratroopers jumping into Normandy, France. I had no idea the military even existed. But what I identified was with, if I was that person jumping out of an airplane behind enemy lines, then no one's going to kick my ass and no one's going to kick anybody else's ass on my watch. So <laughs> I was straight line focused to how do I, how, how do I get into the military? Mother's American, father's Canadian. Her only influence was stay in Canada. I'm sure was thinking you you won't deploy and my son will be safe her family had been to vietnam in world war ii so sure enough i was joined the military i went airborne i got deployed to somalia i uh, joined the military in 92 sorry 
that is not true. I went to Somalia in 92. I joined the military in 89, November 89, and I got out in 96 and pretty much went straight into sales ever from there on nine years in sales and, um, and then private school athletics for four. And then now I've been, I've been coaching on my own ever since 2011. Curious. And maybe it's right from the get go. When for you, do you, can you think back to that time when that moment where, I don't know, you took the blue pill or the red pill. I need to go and watch that clip from, from uh, the matrix again. I think it's the red pill. Was, was there a moment in your, in your life when you all of a sudden took the red pill and went, Whoa, wait a second. There's a whole, there's a whole other way to process the world around me. And I'm asking it in the way, maybe as own, I, I remember the moment, I remember the book I read when I had that moment. So I was like, oh, wait a second. You mean how I feel is up to me, not what the outside world did to me that day? And, uh, and that turning point, so curious, being in the military, and was there a moment or was there a time in your life where you all of a sudden went, the, that, that light bulb started to go off? Or maybe it went off really bright or maybe it started to go off slowly and then got brighter over time. There's a couple versions of the red pill. So okay. the red pill for sure was that first Real out, um, realization that I wanted to be a paratrooper in the military. I mean, I was completely blind to anything and everything else. Um, and then, you know, I kind of felt a little bit lost getting out of the military. There's an identity crisis there ultimately. Um, and when I kind of, I think it was probably four years when I figured that out, I went from one job to another for every two years, three years. But um, when I, when I fell, I fell, I deeply, I was always coaching athletics, but um it was, I remember taking my certification and I had no problem being a employee coach per se, a firm coach per se. It was, I was a year, I was almost a year in coaching uh, on behalf of the firm I was at. And then just something clicked. And uh, there was a conversation with myself and the firm owner, um, not the same firm owner today, but there was a conversation with him. And then I just, that's when I clicked. I need to do this on my own. And so I handed in my resignation pretty much a week later. So that was September 4th, 2012. And, and, um, and it's, the journey has been full of highs and full of lows and a ton of lessons. I wouldn't change any of it, but it's, yeah, it's, I, I remember the day I remember meeting, <laughs> meeting at the uh, coffee shop. And we had small talk and then I said, so I got to tell you something. I pulled an envelope out of my jacket and it was my resignation. He goes, and he just, his eyes squinted. Oh, we all know what that, when uh, that white envelope comes out. Anyways, every owner or CEO manager knows that. <laughs> Someone walks into your office holding the piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, uh, <laughs> yeah. He gave me some PTSD, but thanks. For that. <laughs> but it, you know, I mean, how, how does that not happen when here I am, I'm coaching other people business owners, other entrepreneurs. And as an employee coach, there was this for, how does he not come to that conclusion that eventually I'm going to be walking through that door? Like I felt a little bit fraudulent coaching when I myself wasn't running my own practice. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. but I wanted my own autonomy. I wanted my own control and I wanted to make up my own rules. So they could do, they they didn't do anything wrong. I just wanted to understand. Yeah. And being an employer, that's another psychology of like, that's okay if some will leave and some will come back and, you know, being okay with that and, you know, that mindset. Yeah. So the entrepreneur bug and to do, I'm going to do this on my own. How about your own journey around who am I and what are my beliefs? What are my limiting beliefs? And what are the, what are the beliefs that are empowering me? And, you know, what are the things that allow me to conquer and deal with the, the, the woes and the roller coaster of, of, of real life? Cause you mentioned, you know, working with 
with the psychologists. And so when was the time when that started? Because, you know, you and I come from close, similar, slightly different generations, but you didn't go get help for things like that. You just, you kept it all bottled up until it blew up in some weird way. Uh, but clearly on this journey, <laughs> that sounds super healthy. Uh, <laughs> when I stopped doing that, life got a lot better slowly and surely and yeah. consistently. But, you know, also being really open to like going speaking to somebody and talking about and discovering like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. Maybe there is something from 20 years ago that's actually driving some of my behaviors today. For you, was that something that came on all of a sudden, like that moment of I'm going to be an entrepreneur? Or was it slowly when you started kind of maybe running into yourself in ways that you're like, huh, this behavior doesn't seem to be servicing my goals? <laughs> I think the best way to describe it is a series of multiple train wrecks. <laughs> um, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> Please p- pick a train wreck that you'd like to share. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, identity is such an interesting thing. So there's two pieces. One, it, you know, sort of a most recent reality check, which maybe three years ago, I'm listening to a podcast between Adam Grant and Glennon Doyle, and they were talking about identity. And she said, "I, you know, I've I've had a lot of discussions around around identity." In, and certainly in pop culture and so, and social right now is, you know, uh, gender identity um, mm-hmm. and sexual identity and all these other things, uh, political identities. Anyways, she says, with identity comes rules, dogma, and an enemy. Oh. And I thought rules, dogma, and an enemy. So my, my immediate reflection was the military, absolute. There was a ton of rules. There was lots of dogma, and there was a clearly defined enemy. If we take the identity of a father, there's rules. There, yeah, for sure. There's dogma um, to some extent, uh, helpful or unhelpful. But who's the enemy of a father? I couldn't really figure that one out. And, and to this day, I don't believe there is. But, you know, what identities do I have? So she, the questions was like, who are you? And she said, well, I choose to have as little identity as possible. And I, that really hit me. So today I have very few identities. I, I, yes, I'm a husband, a father, and um, a man. I think those are both biological and legal facts. But outside of that, I don't say I am a coach. That's what I do. That's not who I am. I just wrote about this yesterday in a little uh, short post on LinkedIn. That's who I am. It's not, it's not, sorry, it's, it's what I do. It's not who I am. Mm-hmm. Even, even with a, being a veteran, yes, on paperwork, when I fill out, because I have access to uh, some veterans benefits. So on paper, I checked the box. Yes, I'm a veteran of the Canadian forces versus RCMP, but that's what I did. That is actually not who I am inside the veteran community. Just Google veteran class action lawsuit, Canada, and you will find 2.7 million hits and you will find page after page after page of a variety of lawsuits in play right now with the, with, uh, with the feds. So, that doesn't serve me. And people will say, Hey, did you join the class action lawsuit uh, or malarium, um, uh, anti-malaria drug we took in Somalia? Yes, I did, but I don't need to know anything more about it. It'll take care of itself. Like, well, how come you don't want to know more? Blah, blah, blah. The army did this and the the military did that. And, and uh, the government did it. Like, yeah, it is what it is. I got way more things to do. So it was now, so how do we get there? Um, my wife had gotten me in 2017 Christmas, an ancestry DNA kit. I know who my father is. I don't know a ton about him. She knows who her father is, had never met him. So for shits and giggles, here's this ancestry DNA kit. 
Well, lo and behold, I find out my dad's not my dad and the daughter in my very first marriage is not my daughter. W T F. Okay. Whew. So who am your I? Dad is not your dad and your daughter from your first marriage is actually not yours. Okay. Correct. So yep. I'm born Vincent Lampert. I'm adopted a, at 11 to Ralph Fowler. So I'm Vince Fowler ever since, but I met my birth father at 17, John Grant, amazing human being three sisters and a brother. And now you're telling me for the last 31 years, John Grant is not my dad. That's what the data tells us. Massive identity crisis. Now I'm like, Hey, there was always this rumor that, you know, something may have went on between me and my first wife. So I reach out to my, to my daughter and I say, Hey, um, and you know, a story for another time. We don't have a super close relationship in part because of the divorce, but I reached out to her and so we chatted for about three months and then, and, um, we did the DNA test, not my daughter. Well, that was a, that was a kick in the backside. Uh, that, so now, so as if this doesn't get more fun, um, in this reality that I have, so my real birth father is a guy named Donald Brecknock. And I, in the outcome of that, I have a cousin who lives in Hong Kong. His name's Marty. So Marty had messaged me and said, Hey, do you think you could send some poppies to over to me? So, yeah. So, I went over to the, Cal- the Legion Command in Calgary, picked up some poppies in the process of doing that, bumped into a guy, as the luck would have it, put enough army guys in the room, somebody knows somebody. And uh, this guy I bump into, we turns out we both know a guy named Cliff, who was my platoon commander in Somalia, so we bullshit about Cliff. An hour into this coffee, Friday, nothing better to do but drink coffee with army buddies. He said, how would you like to talk to our team at the OSI clinic? <laughs> OSI is operational stress injury and, um, and uh, team is code for psychologist. I naively said, if I can get some free psych, well, that'll help me with my clients. I'm in. How naive was that? That turned into a two year um, conversation of peeling back the layers and finding out really who am I? And that's so present day. Mm. I am curious I'm compassionate. I am courageous because nothing wonderful, nothing great happens without executing any amount of courage. The enemy of curiosity is, uh, is, uh, is cancel culture. The enemy of, of connection and compassion is condemnation. And the, um, the enemy of courage is mediocrity. So that's, that's where I'm at. And everything else is just what I do. Yes, I run. I run ultras. They're super fun. I run a long time. <laughs> 21 hours, 48 minutes, 15 seconds to complete 100 kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I don't get caught up in other, and I feel lighter. I feel a whole more, lot more clear. And it's so easy to say yes and no to opportunity because it's like, yeah, that's not who I am. If I'm not allowed to exercise curiosity and, and compassion, if there's no room for courage, then I don't need to be involved. And there's no judgment. It just... I withdraw from this situation. Life has never been easier to navigate just knowing who I am. Does that, does that make sense? It makes so much sense. And I love the clarity at which you just uh, un- unrolled that for us, to, for, for, us, for us, the audience, the proverbial us, the we, uh, to, to, to ponder. Is that something you would have ever got to on your own without that external help of no, the, I don't psych, think the so. psych team, the team? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it's a variety. It's a, it's the culmination of many things. The the things I read, the, you know, the, the podcasts I listen to and, mm-hmm. and creating time and space to reflect. Uh, I was a month ago, I was 
Rockwall Trail in Cooney National Park. It was five days, four nights. And I just, I, my, um, my coach, you know, some people, like I hired a mental performance coach as my quote business coach. I figure I can Google business. I can ask peers in my community for all sorts of things, but mental performance is where I want to, how do I be my best version? So he says to me, he says, why don't you take your questions on trail? So I said, great. So I'm already on trail and day one, who am I? So for all day, I just kept asking myself, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I not? Who do I want to be? Like, what's, who am I? Like, repeat that question for 12 hours and give yourself some time to marinate on it. I challenge anybody, they'll, they'll figure it out. The discipline to stick with it and giving yourself the space, but taking the time and, and we fill our lives up with it. It's sorry. We, it's easy to fill our lives up with lots of noise. Mm. Yeah. In North America, maybe I think it's probably almost encouraged. Like, what are you going to do tomorrow? What's on your list? Um, yes, those are important questions, but I think the list is a bit long. <laughs> maybe <laughs> has know? some th- maybe has some things that could be, could make it to the cutting room, to the cutting room floor. Yeah. We d- how, how well do we edit? One guy said, you yeah. know, like, editors in a podcast editors in a book, you know, they show up with 80,000 words. The book is published with 35,000 as an example. If I had more time. I'd make it shorter. <laughs> You're right. Sorry. So, so long. I didn't have enough time to cut out the things that didn't, that, that no longer prove that it's so interesting. I find also being younger and getting older and all, all those things when we, well, when you're younger, I'm a sports, I'm a sports guy. I'm a car guy. I'm a rock guy. I'm into this. I'm a rock climber. I'm into music. I'm, there's so many of these external factors we identify with yes. sometimes often at those phases of our lives when we're young and we don't have that internal anchor. So it becomes our peer groups and the things that, you know, we like, look at, think of high school, you've got the rockers and the smart kids and the nerds and the, you know, whatever era of school you went to, we'll have different groups, but it so was identified from an external to internal versus, you know, what you're talking about is very internal to external, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. I, I know why they do it. It gives labels and we, we use labels to make sense of the world around us. You know, like my high school, we had the stoners, the heads, the jocks, <laughs> nerds. Nice. The, yeah. So we, we had them. Right. And, um, and yeah, I, I get it. So, you know, from a very young age, um, I would always ask my kids a skill testing question before they go to bed. And, you know, one of the questions is what do you want to be when you grow up? And the answer is anything to include happy, resilient, fulfilled, joyful. This is what we want to be. Teachers and grandparents and even parents will say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they, they want to hear answers like fireman and lawyer and, and because it's, it's easy. these are doing things. These aren't being things. Mm. And when you Ooh, think of like a that. person yeah. who, who exits, let's say they spend 35 years as a teacher. Well, the very next day they go from teacher to retired. And if their whole identity was anchored on teacher. The next day, good luck. Um, I see it in the military. I see it in private school. Or sorry, I, I see it in professional sports where people have left professional sports and massive crisis of identity. I've seen it with people. I, I can picture this executive now. He was with a major construction company based here in Calgary. You know, dealing with billion-dollar uh, projects, right? And then the very next day, he he's retired. Yes, he has this beautiful pension and blah, blah, blah and a nice home and a car and all these things. But the crisis of identity was incredibly painful for him for some time. Mm -hmm. Men and women, um, they struggle. So this is that anchoring to what we do. What we do is not who we are. Uh, Same with trauma. 
I am not the event. I am the one who experienced the event. I am not the event. You know, um, for the longest time being divorced, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm this divorced train wreck. No, I was married and there was a divorce and that happened, but that's where it ends. So do you feel we're getting better at this and broad, broad, broad statement, you know, from, you said like, you know, the, the old days was 10 years ago, like wasn't that long ago. If you think of the last five or 10 years, certainly, and I got to be careful with my biases because I talk to people that are willing to have these conversations. I'm not necessarily talking this way to the one individuals that aren't. And their identity is their business that they built or the job that they have or the career that they had as a professional, dot, 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 you know, fill, fill, fill in the thing. Do you find through your coaching and your disawareness with being involved in the community, are we... Sl- are we getting better giving people permission to transition and to be other things, or are we still just part of the journey and we're still working our way through? That is a great question. Uh, if we look at where our biggest challenges are right now in current day, just let's just say Alberta, uh, whether political landscape or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I could be very cynical and, and say um, one particular group over another, and there's this massive disruption and dysfunction and cancel culture. Um, I think the awareness is improving. So for example, at the highest level of military operations joint, you know, like in Canada, it's joint ta- uh, JTF joint task force mm-hmm. Two, in the U S it's Navy SEALs and Delta and special uh, forces. So a friend of mine, his name is uh, Marius. Marius works with the U S army and he's a mental performance coach. And he's employed by the U.S. Army to work on the mental game of these soldiers as they go through selection. They have realized and identified that these guys are incredibly fit. They have excellent weapon handling skills. They understand tactics. They are like super soldiers. And so how do we make them better? We work on their mindset. So the military has adopted this. We know that the highest level of athletics and the Olympics and professional athletics, they've adopted mental performance coaching and they've allowed people like I th- when I look back at the, the Olympics in Korea and Simone Biles, a gymnast for the United States, she she was starting to feel the pressure, um, the the pressure beyond what's acceptable or what's expected of performance. And she said, look, if I don't deploy my uh, my routine well, not only do I risk falling, I re- I I could risk catastrophic injury. So you have one part of the population that's like, entertain me at whether you live or die. Like, you know, we're talking. (laughs) Yes, we do. Yep. Oh, like, and then you have this other very empathetic uh, audience is saying, yeah, like, um, take it, take the day. You know, um, we see professional athletes post game and they're just, they're they're absolutely gutted over a loss and they don't want to go to the media scrum after. And we're seeing coaches and we're seeing owners protect that athlete. You know, there's another game. You guys don't need to have that athlete on TV tonight. Their their psychological safety is worth more to us. I like that answer to your question. We are seeing it to some extent in organizations. And I think it's probably top down. I think big, big, big business is slower to adapt, but quicker to adopt. Um, Sorry slower to adopt, but quicker to adapt because they have the resources. They okay. Can- I was puzzling. I was like, wait a second. I need to, I need to, I need to, I need a flow. I need a flow chart to pull that one apart. My brain isn't grabbing it. <laughs> yeah. Slower to, uh, 
slower to adopt, but very quick to adapt because they have the financial resources. I got it. Okay. Okay. We're going to take it slow, but once we do, boom, we're going to, we're going to yeah. make it happen. Well, friend of mine okay. gets, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. A friend of mine gets, uh, employed by Imperial oil. Imperial oil says, Hey, here's your coach. And this person is employed by Imperial oil, uh, full-time employee coach. And for the next two years, this is your coach. It's just part of the deal from being on our executive team. Like your, military, like, like your military exam, we've identified and we've got the proof yeah. and we've got the data to show that this is a force multiplier and we need yeah. all of the, we need all of the edge we can get here from a performance perspective. I had a conversation with mm -hmm. one of the regional, I think it's a regional VP if I said the title right, um, with Sun Life and they are actively hiring a, what, what, what was advertised was a business coach. And I said, you know what? I thought about it. We spoke, I said, I'm not the solution, but I'm very interested. Tell me more. So we had a really good conversation in the end. I came back the next day and I said, you know what? I was wrong. I don't think you need a business coach for these um, financial advisors. I think you need a performance coach. You understand the business. That's your job, your yeah. colleague's job to teach the skills of the business of, of, uh, of uh, financial advising. You're looking for a performance coach. And uh, uh, two weeks later, funny enough, I, I know one who's potentially looking at working as an employee in the private sector like that. So so again, biz, big business, slow to adopt, but very quick to adapt because they have the resources to make it happen. Small business, and let's, I don't know, small business, such a big spectrum for from zero to a hundred employees. <laughs> Completely. It's, it's, it's but, broader than you might think when you hear SMB. <laughs> I'll put it this way. 10 years ago, that it was a secret. The amount of times my employment, my engagement was a secret to their staff was, now it's never a secret. No, it's probably they posted on their social media. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, then, the, then, then the narrative was, um, "What's wrong with me?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what's wrong with me? Why? You know, some you need a you know friend says to one another business friend. Yeah, I think you could benefit from why. What's wrong with me? So now it's more like the trend. Sick. You don't have to be sick is, to be better. Yeah. The hardest thing today is well, how do I find a coach for me? And that even took me six months. I had to. Yep. Go look. Well, and there's a lot to be, maybe we can even touch on that because people are listening that are doing it. They're feeling validated. The people that are like, well, I'm on the fence, but maybe I'm going to go out there. We did touch on, and we both kind of said it cynically, like the roll your eyes when someone says they're a coach. Like, yeah. is it is it credentials? Is it fit? Is it both those things? Is it referral? Is it all the things that we use? Because unfortunately we can't go on Airbnb and check the five last people that stayed there to see what they say, right? And we could, but not really. It doesn't really work that way, but it kind of does. It's the wild, I think it's still the wild west. I, now, I agree. I agree with you. So I was hoping for a magic formula. <laughs> wild west. Now, if we're talking shell, shell's looking for some coaches to deploy. They're going to go through credentials. They're going to yeah. look at real up hard and close certifications. Um, Cause they got policies and they want to cover their tracks. I get they got it. governance too. It's a whole different thing. Governance, exactly. Yeah. But if you're looking at a, a private owner, private sector business, they are looking more often than not than lived experience and the ability to ask insightful questions and observe and, and listen. And so they don't go on they don't go on Google. They go to their peer advisory group. You know, they're sitting in an EO meeting or a tech yeah. meeting or whatever it might be, and they're totally. saying, "Hey, Pat, I heard you have a coach. Who is it?" Um, hey Tyler, you, you working with a coach before? Who was it? How was the experience? I saw that I saw that text go through our WhatsApp chat from my tech group like about two weeks ago. Hey, I'm looking for a coach for this type of thing for this reason. Who's got what resource? Exactly yeah. to a T the situation. And ask yourself this: Are they are they make sure you email me their resume and their credentials and blah blah blah? They, did it work for you? 
Mm. Did you like them? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all, it's all qual. (laughs) So lived experience is a big deal. And that was, you know, full disclosure. I, I graduated high school 51% in pretty much every single subject with the exception of auto shop and phys ed (laughs) and uh, social studies. So my narrative wasn't super supportive when I went into my industry. (laughs) it's going to be on your permanent file. Sometimes it is. I I have a, I have a uh, suck resume of all the big fuck ups in my life. I got two divorces. I've got this many firings, this many, this, this, many, that also known as lived experience. I have also got this many reps in, 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 in. And um, when I look in the mirror, I'm really proud of the person I've become. I'm really excited about the person I'm growing to be Um, not going to be, I am, I am the bee already. I am happy. I am resilient. I am fulfilled. I am gratitude, grateful. So who am I growing to be is more like, you know, just more reflective. Could I also land, could I also land the reflection quicker? Could I be more succinct? Could I be more, could I be more curious? Could I be, you know, so um, could I think even for me, could I think bigger? So that's why I have a coach to ensure that my own limiting beliefs aren't in there, but. I love Sally, what you. I love what you just, I love what you just said and made me ponder because sometimes when I you know there was goals my wife and I've been goal setting for years so we've been together 20 20 20 we've married actually 20 years the next July we've been together for 22 and we've been goal setting and I look back and there's there were long lists and they were detailed and they were things and stuff and but over the years it's gotten much narrower and much more well yeah but let's maintain this and this is great and more of this and I like what you said about the refinement and like oh, I'm reflective but how can I do it in a quicker way or how can I do it maybe less time or I do love the idea of like my list has gotten a lot shorter, but it's got a lot deeper. <laughs> Maybe it's like five miles wide and one inch deep. Where now it's like, oh no, yeah. I want to go farther down that path because I love that thing. Wow, I wonder if it could be more. Back to your comment about you don't have to be sick to be better, which I love. I'm always addicted yeah, to better, and I've had friends call me on it like, oh geez, you know, you're always uh, oh you've always into the newest latest thing. I'm like, well yeah. And the moment you kind of defend, you're like, well sure, if that's how it looks. But I'm building yeah. off the fact that this took me to that, which then made me realize like, oh, wow, I didn't even see that because I hadn't, I hadn't fixed that blind spot. But now that I have, I see it. And it's, it's, much, it's a much interesting journey when it starts to narrow and, the, and you start getting more deep. I found earlier on that list was a lot more broad and it had a lot more yeah. stuff and things on it, where now it's, it's a lot more about being. And I love how you've kind of given that, given that context. There's this formula out there, B do have, uh, B times do equals have. So lots of people want to have, a, you know, they have a have list that, that, that they'd like to see turn into reality. I think anybody can relate with that. I want to have this, I want to have that. Um, the stuff. List. So the, the typical, I think the typical response to how, how do we get what we want is to do what we need to do. However, what, what took me a long time to figure out was, well, who do I need to become? Who do I need to be in order to coach this particular person or mm-hmm. to, or to be the, who do I need to be as a parent where my kids want to hang around me when they're in their twenties and thirties and forties and fifties. Like, I want my kids to hang out with me in the future. I want to hang out with them. So who do I need to be as a father for that to turn into reality? Well, I, controlling is probably not one of those things. So where am I trying to, <laughs> I like picking the things that are going to, well, let's pick the things that are going to make, make sure it doesn't happen. Let's pick those first because those are all sometimes a little bit easier to grab. So, so there's that there's um, another one from John Maxwell who said, uh, instead of asking, cause he was his journey in leadership. And um, he said, I stopped asking myself, how long will this take? 
and asking myself instead, how far can I go? And when I heard that, I was listening to that podcast while I was working out at the gym and I was, I had to rewind that. Because I've been going like, man, how long is it going to take for this? And I had this list of expectations of where I should be now in my career. And all of a sudden, it was just like letting the air out of the balloon. And it's like, how how far can I go? Wow, holy shit. That's an exciting, that's an exciting <laughs> story to live. That's an exciting journey to ride. What's well, the possibility language versus, yeah. I really, really like that one. It's so powerful and so many things that you said in today's episode for me are just those subtle reframes of, of words matter and the story we, the words tell to us and just yes. you know, how far can I go versus how long is it going to take us to get there? You know, it's funny. It's the anticipation. I was talking to somebody about this today when you're driving somewhere and you're not sure where it is, how long it feels like it's going to take to get there. Cause you're constantly like, where's it and what's happening. But yet when you drive back, it feels like it takes a fraction of the time. It's just because your mindset yeah. changed. The drive is the exact same distance in the exact, the exact same, time. same right? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> and the perception of it changes. We're joking about that. It's like, oh yeah, the anticipation of the unknown versus the, oh yeah, just check out, enjoy the experience. And boom, next thing you know, we made it. We're there. Oh, we're home already? How'd that happen so fast? <laughs> well, when is- It didn't. It took the same time. <laughs> and so this is what I love about social science uh, is that if I can understand how the brain plays with this, then I can leverage this later in other areas of my life. The brain isn't a big fan of uncertainty. And if, we, if we're going somewhere where we've never gone, there's it, the journey's full of uncertainty. And one of our biggest addictions as human beings is control. So we're trying to control the pace, the tempo, this and that, only to find out we get there when we get there. Now, that doesn't typically land really well when we talk to uh, high, high corporate strategy, Corporate strategy and all. You know, like yeah. I said, 20% growth this year or, you know, okay, well, we'll get there when we get there though. That's still the, that's still the truth. <laughs> and when we come back from that drive, the distance is now a known quantity and our brain can do the math real fast. So now it's a certainty we're playing with versus an uncertainty. And our brain craves certainty on such a level that, it, that if, if it doesn't get it, it makes up a story because it's chemically rewarded with some dopamine to get it. So getting someone to fall in love with the journey, uh, Brad Stahl, uh, Stahlberg's work, he's a performance coach out of the U.S. He talks about, and so does, uh, um, again, Huberman with the, with the brain chemicals, is the, the, the outcome is never in our control. It's the journey. And if we can fall in love with the little performance um, hits along the way, then the outcome is the outcome. It just, it happens. But... And none of that's to say we don't care or give a shit factor. It doesn't matter. We're going to normalize neglect, normalize negligence. No, no. That's, that's, that's easy to minimize. Like that's a, that's a dangerous way to, to try to minimize that or, mis, or, or create a misconception around it. No, 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 no. I still care about the outcome. I'm just broadening out the, my perspective, which then changes yeah. my complete experience. Having a commitment to the outcome is important for sure. I run a hundred kilometer race. There is an, I guarantee you, there's an absolute commitment to this outcome. However, run the mile I'm in, be where my feet are at, focus on the next step only. Every time I daydreamed on that 100K race, in the daytime, I went off track. In the nighttime, there was, uh, my headlamp would pick up the reflective tape on the next part of the course. But isn't that interesting? Every time I got caught thinking about the future, fantasizing about the future, I went off course. So... Hmm. Yes, committed to the outcome, 100%. But I'm focused on the next moment. Yeah, one foot in front of the next and all the metaphors. I love, and I love physical activity because it brings so much of it. It is such a strong metaphor or it is such a strong place to 
go, oh, oh, that that got real, very real, very, very, very quickly. And you, you crazy ultra marathoners, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> that's a whole nother bag of tricks. <laughs> my greatest, it is my, it is one of my greatest teachers in the past. You know, I had to figure out how to make sense of the past and, you know, past events, past experiences, past mistakes, past traumas. But some of my greatest teachers today is uh, me in a three hour training run, me in a eight hour, 50 K. I'm not the fastest guy on the course. That's not my intent. My, my intent is always to finish. So I, mm-hmm. finish, I, I do the math on allowable time and total distance and elevation gain and loss. And I, you know, I, I create a plan around that and it's the most enjoyable experience. It's uh, it's difficult to describe kind of like you doing a corner on a motorcycle and leaning in hard. And then if you had uh, metal plates in your knees, we'd see sparks. Like that's the, yeah, yeah. Ideally. Yeah. That's, that's the vision everyone has in their mind when you tell that story. <laughs> Versus the other vision where you just touch that brake too hard. And next thing you know, when did you know you were in trouble? It's like when I was sliding through the grass. That's when I knew. That's when I knew <laughs> things had yeah. taken a horrible turn. I remember one of my favorite, I was, I'm not a big UFC watcher, but it was like Joe Rogan interviewing somebody and said, when did you know you were in trouble? He goes, when I woke up. <laughs> <laughs> Something about that comment. I just, I loved it. I was like, well, that was a hundred percent honest answer right there. <laughs> Everything was going great until. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine's a competitive free fall parachutist and he does all these real fast things and they, uh, very similar. What, you know, when did you know you were in trouble? When I looked up and didn't see the canopy of my parachute. (laughs) Jumping out of a perfectly good aircraft has never been my idea of a good time. (laughs) I'll find my, I'll find my, my present moments. That's why we get out. Yeah. Curious. You mentioned about, um, yeah, airborne. Um, I've often attracted to sports that center me in the moment, which often in do, it includes speed. So snowboarding and mountain biking and longboarding and, and motorcycle racing and all, all, the, all those things. And I've been accused like, oh, you're a speed junkie. I said, nah, I don't know if that's what it is. So, you know, you listen to you talk about the slow and steady pace of a hundred kilometer race and how centering and how like, if you stay in the moment, you know, I've always put myself in environments where it was... You can drift off course on a hundred kilometer race. You are not in the moment doing two twenty on the back straight at Misano. You're going in like you're you're just coming. You're going you're going home in pieces kind of mindset. And I've always found myself more and more attracted to those things. And over the years, I've started to understand. Even just listening to you talk, just kind of reflecting back my own experience around it's the how centering that is. And there is no future and there is no past. There is a hundred percent the moment, and it is not an option. Or you learn very quickly that like either don't be there or it will it'll teach you that. I find yeah. it interesting just listening to you talk about um, basically your version of the same experience, but in a slow, very controlled, but moment to moment, like this, that degree of presence and how powerful that is. The author who wrote Talent Code talks about this very thing. Um, Daniel Coyle, am I reading that right? I'm looking at my library. He, um, he talks I, yeah, about- I was going to say, I think it's in the library. I can't see it from where I'm sitting, but my friend, the ultra marathoner got me to read that actually. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. Deliberate practice. Like just being in these moments. And, and my, one of my favorite sports to watch is, um, is formula one racing. And, and, um, I've even heard other people who love golf where they were at the game, they were a friend of the person playing. And I said, Oh, I said, hi to you on the, remember when I said hi to you on the 17th? Like, I didn't even know you were there. I didn't even hear you. I didn't even see you. So even at the pace of golf or the pace of formula one, you know, the individual, the athlete is right there in the moment, because if they're not, 
Well, the ball's going left or right and the car's going straight into a wall. So um, there's no room and there, like, there's no room for, to, to think of anywhere else. So maybe because in pro sports, you know, there's lots of money on the line or maybe because in, in high speed car driving, motorcycle driving, mm-hmm. jumping out of planes, the, the risk can be incredibly catastrophic. Maybe we don't give, maybe we don't give the moment in our career the same respect. Interesting. I, it's, you know, sleeping at the wheel is sleeping at the wheel. And in a, I was 17, I fell asleep at the wheel, drove my car off the road and super lucky after a few tumbles, landed wheels down and walked away from it with nothing more than a little red dot on my left earlobe. That was it. <laughs> so, but it, I, I mean, the obvious reality of falling asleep at the wheel is going off the road. So where do we fall asleep at the wheel of life? And a lot of people could relate to this idea of like, holy crap, I, three years have gone by and I, I'm not even, oh, how did I get here? Like they, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of been on autopilot. They've lost, and in the process, they've lost connection with their leadership team or their staff or their spouse, their kids or something. And, I, and it's because they were, you know, I would describe it as the mental operating system wasn't getting updated. Um, they weren't in the moment. They weren't present. And when someone says, hey, let's do a presence, let's do a, a, a grounding exercise. Whoa, what are you? Some sort of woo-woo doctor? Hey, let's... <laughs> so I use, uh, I use hippy-dippy. Hippy, hippy, yeah. I don't say meditation. I say, let's, have you ever done any tactical breathing? You know, instead yeah, of. Yeah, <laughs> right. That, that, that's a great, it's a great anchor for the individuals I think you might be describing. <laughs> so, and then I we leverage and I, I will name drop a particular person neuroscience and then they think it's very corporate. Right. But yeah, it's just a, another version of meditation. It's just a short period of time. So, so use it, but using the right words can bring somebody in to have an experience and by, by creating some safety or creating some familiarity and then being able to, to try something out that maybe would have sounded woo woo otherwise. <laughs> so back to that original question is very much the wild west out there. And I think, you know, uh, Jim button, um, I remember him, um, when we can have leaders in the community talk about their experiences with, in his case, Eastern medicine, um, working um, with Avnish and, um, and other people of community who are touted as com- uh, people of authority within the community, then when they can begin to normalize some of these things, then it gives permission for the others to, to try to experience, to, you know, to consider what have you. No, a lot of people don't like to be first at something. So they, hmm. and that's their own head trash. Um, but I think that can help. Head trash. <laughs> yeah. It's got a lot of quotable quotes today, my friend. I love, I love a good quotable quotes episode. We could, we have a few bumper stickers. We have a couple of t-shirts. We've got some <laughs> great ones today. Some gold. I love it. <laughs> I have to wear my t-shirt. Embrace the suck. I have another one, which is to say, while something is deeply frustrating, um, unpleasant, hard, it is also necessary. We also need to consciously accept and acknowledge it is necessary and unavoidable for forward progress. So that's what embrace the suck means. That's a t-shirt I have. And then there's it's a bit long. Embrace the suck, I think, just captures it nicely. That, that, <laughs> no, yeah. I like that. And then there's yeah. choose your heart. You know, yeah. it was a personal trainer that taught me that one. You can be out of shape and that's hard. Life is hard when we're out of shape. Or you can get into shape. That's hard too. Choose your heart. Yeah. So the, the body will then, adapt to the treadmill or the couch you pick. 
but my newest one will be uh, Embrace the Space. And it's I, I take this from Viktor Frankl, uh, a Jewish psychologist from Austria who spent the better part of World War II in four different concentration camps, lost mother, father, and wife on the very first day. And he says that between stimulus and response is space. And it's in that space we have power. And we would all be better served if we embrace the space. If we just remove the need to just hit the gas pedal and go faster, remove the need to put one more thing on the to-do list, uh, just embrace the space. Take a moment and do it without judgment. Uh, ben said yesterday, he just said, uh, you know, I had one session this week with my clients. I played video games with one of my best friends, with my brother, I think he said uh, the other day, and he loved every moment of it. <laughs> in the past he would have just jammed that day up full of stuff because his narrative was that's how I got that's what successful people do they of just course, do, 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 do a lot of stuff yeah yeah totally. grind and hustle so vince Embrace that was a that was a fantastic podcast we could, i appreciate the philosophy i appreciate the shared reality of you know hey this is a thing or no this is actually a thing in the way i experienced it and what i've learned from it and how i bring that back to my life and my practice and your you know your chosen passion it certainly seems from the outside as the role of coach that you that you sound like you get to you get to play and that sounds amazing and i and i uh, really appreciate the journey and uh how you found yourself doing what you do thank you it it's um it wasn't where i thought i'd ever be and i'm glad i found my way here and i'm you know, beyond excited to see where this journey goes, like how far can I go? And um, how far can we take it? Pretty good. <laughs> it. It's yeah, pretty good so far. <laughs> Rock and roll. Um, Vince Valor at Google, you come up, you're on LinkedIn, you're out there. If anybody wants to, I encourage people to reach out. This has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I look forward to continuing having for, and having and having further. And uh, as, as often is, I love these podcasts because I get to know people in an intimate way that you can take five coffee meetings and jam it into one 150 minute podcast and you, yeah, you cover a lot of ground. You are dialed, sir. Like this, <laughs> I, I've been on, I've been on some really wonderful podcasts, had the opportunity to talk to some really neat people. And I was excited to be here because this is something you're so good at. You, I, I've been listening. My first one was Billy Friley at Village Ice Cream. I just, awesome. I, I think I listened to that one twice. I just, that was the first one too. That was the first one. <laughs> you ask questions and listen and take it into a, into really interesting directions. It's a true skill and you, you're great at it. And I, so I'm really, I'm really grateful that to, uh, to a listen and be participate. Oh, thanks Vince. That means a lot. I, like I, I clearly love it and had no idea I was going to love it. And it great. has been the highlight of my life for the, I've been doing this for four years now. I'm episode 300 is coming up here pretty quick and, You'll probably, you'll probably be episode 85 or 86 on, 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 they just get it. It's almost 400 episodes of something I did as a whim and absolutely fell in love with, had no idea, had no idea. I think those are some of the most exciting journeys. I, I can, yeah, I'm living it. I'm, I'm, I can, you know, it's not just a bumper sticker. I'm actually doing the thing, you know, do something cause you're, yeah. cause you love it. Cause you don't need the money and it'll all work out in the end. And yeah, that's kind of what happened. My coach laughs at me sometimes. Just Tyler, you are the cliche, right? You're doing the, you're doing the thing. Like you are the bumper sticker, <laughs> which I take that as a compliment. <laughs> and it sounds like you've released the outcome. You just, I'm just, this is what I'm curious about. I'm going to follow my curiosity. It is, a, it is, it is a gas. But Vince, thanks for those comments. I do really appreciate it. And thanks for your time today. That was an absolute pleasure. I look forward to, uh, we will be chatting again. I, I, I certainly, I believe that. And, uh, I look forward to it. I look forward to that too. Thanks. <laughs>